Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 147 of our newsletter. Uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday, August 26th of 2020. Thank you so much for listening. I've seen some really great discussions on Twitter this week about uh, your favorite podcasts, and there's lots of really good podcasts out there. Personally, one of the ones I really like is Dan Schur, Experts on the Wire. Uh, I was, I've been a guest on his podcast a couple of times, and he's so good at bringing out, uh, just asking really, really good questions and bringing out the best in, in his guests. And so I would really encourage you to read that or listen to that. Um, I thought it was really funny, though, in this discussion, Andrew Miller said, I really like Marie Haynes's podcast. He said it was uh, the podcast he listens to when he does a long distance run. <laughs> which made me laugh. So stay tuned. This is going to be another long distance run podcast because as much as I try to cut the time down, there's just way too much good stuff to talk about. And I love to talk. So thank you for listening. And hopefully I can fill you in on what you need to know in terms of what's happened with Google this week and SEO in general. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks now about weird updates. Um, Every week when we sit down and figure out, all right, was there a Google update? Um, I have my entire team look at analytics and determine, all right, there's a particular day where we saw a lot of movement, and can we figure out, is that day, uh, is that movement also reflected in Bing? If so, then it's not a Google update, uh, most likely. Um, Or is it does it look like this is actually a Google update? And this month has been super challenging. I've talked in the last couple of episodes about August 10th and also August 15th to 16th. Google did something weird on those dates. And August 10th, we saw that there were a large number of websites that suddenly started to rank really well, even though they were very low quality. Um, And if you saw improvements during this glitch, because Google confirmed that this was a glitch at this time, something went wrong in their complex system of uh, indexing. If you saw improvements at this time, I actually think that's not a good thing because it seems to me that pages that improved during the August 10th glitch were pages that now are suppressed because of quality issues. We can't say that 100% for sure, but um, a lot of the cases were really, really obvious. There were a lot of black hat SEOs that were complaining that their SERPs were now littered with ultra spammy websites. This was during the August 10th update. That happened for only a few hours. And then we had something that happened on August 15th or so. And that looked like another kind of glitch on Google's side. But in this case, we couldn't say, oh yeah, it was mostly low quality pages that started to rank. It was very hard to find any uh, similarities or to come up with any theories as to what changed um, to allow uh, these ranking changes that we saw. The August 15th glitch kind of extended into the 16th for some websites. It was much longer than what we saw on August 15th. And then August 17th happened. Now, I haven't heard many people in the SEO community talking about this, although we've received several requests for help already with websites that saw drops on August 17th. I spent a fair amount of time looking at this, and it's unusual as well. 
my initial theory, and I think a lot of people thought the same, is that whatever was happening in the week previous to August 17th, so August 10th and August 15th, that we talked about these glitches, uh, that that was some type of a test maybe for what Google was going to release in the future. And that's still possible. I think we're long overdue, maybe not long overdue, but we're due for a core update. And who knows what's on Google's mind uh, now that we're dealing with a different world with coronavirus. You know, they may be slowing down on core updates. Um, but we thought that maybe what these glitches were were some type of a precursor uh, to an update that's coming up. And so when we had a bunch of people come to us and say, hey, something's going on with my traffic, I'm seeing drops starting August 17th, my first thought was, all right, I bet you sites that were affected with the glitch uh, also saw drops on August 17th. Well, I was wrong on that. Um, of all the sites that we monitor, quite a few saw either increases or decreases on August 17th. And uh, I believe only two of those were affected by the uh, previous glitches. So that's important to know um, because I don't think that the two are connected. So what happened on the 17th at this point uh, is very hard to say. If you're a premium subscriber of our newsletter, as we always do with every update that seems to be of some sort of significance, uh, I've jotted down in newsletter uh, what we're seeing. But I don't have any conclusions. I have some thoughts that we've uh, we've put that in in newsletter. Um, but at this point, what we're seeing with August seventeenth is there's quite a few sites that were affected, and they're across many different types of verticals. Often, when Google runs a core update, uh, for a while, it was primarily medical sites that we were seeing uh, have large effects. Uh, if you remember August first of two thousand eighteen, gosh, that was two years ago now uh, that we had the medic update and the medic update. It was called medic because a vast majority of sites that were affected were medical in nature, but it wasn't just medical sites that were affected. Um, in this case, though, what we're seeing August 17th, uh, it's, it's across all verticals. I, I suppose we could say that all of the sites we're seeing are ones that we would consider to be YMYL, your money or your life. But then we don't do a lot of reviews for non-YMYL sites. Um, if your site is uh, important enough to uh, make you money or to provide people with important information, you're probably YMYL. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to say. I feel like we're probably going to do more investigation into what happened August 17th um, based on the uh, number of requests that we've had and the odd patterns that we're seeing. It looks like uh, there's something that we should probably investigate more. If your website saw changes on August 17th, I would love for you to reach out to us on Twitter. Um, the MHC Inc. Twitter account is probably the best way to do that, MHC underscore INC. And our social media media coordinator, Summer, will uh, take note of uh, what you've, you've told us. If you have screenshots showing that your traffic went down or maybe went up on that time, at that time, I'd love to see it because looking at multiple sites that were affected at a, a certain time can really help us to figure out what Google changed. Um, so again, feel free to tweet at the MHC Inc. Twitter account, and our social media coordinator, Summer, will... 
um, organize all these responses and give them to me so that I can do a little bit more analysis and determine uh, maybe what it is that Google changed at this time. It wouldn't surprise me, again, if we're going to see a core update soon. Uh, I saw Glenn Gabe tweeting that Google often runs core updates in September. Uh, I think the last few Septembers that we've had core updates, it's been the last week of September. So that's my guess. If I had to, if I had to put money down on when Google does their next significant core update, I would say the end of September. But I'm not very good at gambling, so I don't know if you would uh, <laughs> take my advice on that. Um, let's move on to some other interesting stuff that came up in the world of SEO this week. Um, one of the things, there was a thing on Twitter about whether keywords in your URL are important. So um, I think we all do this. Like if I'm publishing a post about Google penalties, I'm going to make sure that the words Google penalties are in my URL if possible, right? We want to do everything we can to give signals to Google to say, hey, this particular URL is talking about this particular subject. And so having keywords in your URLs are important. Um, this was interesting though. Somebody asked uh, John Mueller about this on Twitter, whether keywords in your URLs actually could help you with rankings. And what he said was, quote, the SEO effect of keywords in the URL is minimal once the contact content is indexed. Make sure URLs that work for your users, oh, make URLs that work for your users, not for SEO. So this is interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, okay, so we have keywords in our URL. It doesn't make much of a difference once the URL is indexed. But what does that mean? Does it make a difference before it's indexed? Um, you know, I think it's minimal. John has said in the past that, yeah, it can, it can matter. It can help. Uh, but it's just a very small signal. So the other thing that John pointed out is that changing your URLs is essentially the same as a site migration. So we've seen this before. I remember a site before where um, all of their URLs, it was a WordPress site, and every single URL had the date in the URL. That's a pretty common setup for WordPress. Uh, and then they decided for whatever reason that that wasn't a good thing. They wanted to have more um, optimized URLs. And so they changed all these URLs to remove the date and have keywords in them. Well, if you do that, you need to make sure that you're redirecting your previous URLs to the current ones. And you need to know that there are risks that come with that as well. Um, we're dealing with a site right now that went through a migration. It looks like they've done absolutely everything the way that it should be done. And yet they're seeing big losses after this migration happened. And I have a theory. Uh, I don't think this has ever been proven, but um, I really do believe that when you change URLs, when you migrate, whether it's because you've changed the keywords in your URL or maybe you're um, you know, doing a redesign and you would like to just uh, change, uh, rather than have everything in a blog folder, you want to put them on the root or vice versa, which is probably better. You want to make things into a, um, a better hierarchy. Those are considered site moves. And uh, we had a case... Um, yeah, like I said, we have a client right now who everything seems to have been done properly and yet they're seeing huge drops in traffic. Now, sometimes that can be normal. It can take time for Google to figure out, uh, oh, okay, this brand new website is actually the same as this previous website that we used to love and we used to rank really well. 
Um, but we've seen cases where it seems like everything was done correctly in terms of technically migrating the site. And yet there have been huge drops in rankings. And our theory is that when you migrate, it sends signals to Google that says, hey, something new is happening here. We should do a whole new assessment of the content on this site. And often when we look at websites that used to rank well and then migrate and no longer rank well, what we find is we say, why did this previously rank well? Like it's actually not the best of its kind. And sometimes I think Google can have almost these legacy uh, signals where they say, you know what, this has been ranking really well for years and searchers seem to really like it. And so let's just keep things the way they are. I'm grossly oversimplifying things, but this is the way that uh, in my head, I think it, it, it kind of works in the algorithms uh, that Google says, you know, this has been ranking well for a long time. Why not change this? things because, why change things? Because users are liking this. Um, and then when there's a switch to a new URL, Google does an even stronger assessment. Um, and we commonly see that after you've migrated, content that really isn't the best of its kind struggles to rank. So changing your URLs to add keywords into them is probably not a good idea. With that said though, if you are making new URLs, there's probably some benefit to have some keywords in your URLs. Um, I don't think it's something that's going to make or break, you know, it's not going to propel you into number one rankings uh, if you suddenly start posting uh, URLs that contain keywords. But it is another little thing that potentially could help. There's been some discussion this week on whether or not it actually helps you if you got listed on Wikipedia. Uh, there was a Reddit thread where somebody was asking about how to get a backlink from Wikipedia. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this. I I've made several of my own backlinks with varying degrees of success. Um, I remember when I first started my veterinary website, I've mentioned this lots of times. If you want to seek it out, you can find it. It's a horrible example of SEO because I haven't done any on it in many, many years. Um, but when I was first getting into SEO, this was what I experimented with. And one of the things that I did was I created this calculator to help you determine if your dog ate too much chocolate. So chocolate, most people know is toxic to dogs and, um, certain amounts of chocolate, depending on the type can be fatal to dogs. It's really rare. I don't think in all my years as a veterinarian, I don't think I ever saw a dog that died from chocolate toxicity, but I saw dogs that got really, really sick from it. Um, and depending on the type of chocolate, whatever. So I made this calculator and at the time there was nothing else like it. Now, since then there are better calculators that are out there. Uh, but I figured out the PHP and made my own calculator and, um, and it was really good. A lot of people used it. And so I went to Wikipedia and I found the page on theobromine toxicity. So theobromine is the chemical in chocolate that actually is toxic to dogs. Um, and so what I did was I went, uh, and anybody can edit a Wikipedia page. So I went into the Wikipedia page and I edited it to include a link to my calculator. Um, and this worked. The link stayed. I haven't checked recently whether it's still there. It might be. It's been years uh, since I did that, but it may still be there. Now, I'll tell you, I did other edits like this because when I saw that, 
what was happening was people were clicking that link and using my calculator. And then what also happened was that other people who wrote articles on chocolate toxicity in dogs said, oh, and by the way, there's this great calculator that you can use on this website. And so I got links from that. So me going in and editing a Wikipedia entry and creating a link to my website, um, that link from Wikipedia was no followed. And so I think where people were talking about this question on the Reddit thread was because people were saying, well, look, if you make your own link in Wikipedia, it's no followed and no followed links are probably not going to help you. Although we'll talk about that in a minute. And so why would you go through all the effort of doing that? So when I had that success of seeing other people linking to my calculator and wow, this link that I dropped in Wikipedia was awesome. Of course, as an SEO, I wasn't an SEO then, I was just somebody trying to figure out SEO. Um, but of course you wanna do more of that. So I found other articles where I could drop a link to my website and sure enough, all of my links on Wikipedia disappeared. If you spam Wikipedia, and it wasn't on a massive scale, it's not like I was trying to link to hundreds of pages. I probably did it on maybe five pages. Said, oh, I have a great article. I'll include my link on Wikipedia here. Including my chocolate toxicity calculator link, they all went. Now, at some point, uh, months and months after that, I actually went back and redid <laughs> the uh, link to the chocolate toxicity calculator. And for some reason, that the Wikipedia editors didn't get mad at that, and they kept it in. The point that I'm trying to make here is that links, if you add your own link on Wikipedia, it can help provided that the resource that you're linking to is incredibly helpful. And at the time when I made this calculator, there was nothing else on the web that was like it. And so if you were somebody whose dog ate, like let's say your dog ate an entire, um, you know, two pound bar of milk chocolate. Well, if it's a really big dog, the most that's going to do is probably just give him some stomach upset. Um, but if you had a five pound dog that ate, uh, you know, some baker's chocolate, which is really, really high in theobromine, uh, you need to get to the vet right away and you need to get emergency treatment because that could be fatal. So my calculator was super helpful and adding that link actually really helped the calculator to rank and helped my website to rank. Now I'm not saying you should all go to Wikipedia and start adding links. In fact, I don't recommend doing that anymore, uh, except for very rare cases where you've got something that truly is the best resource of its kind, and you really feel like uh, Wikipedia would like that link. But what I think people are ignoring is the other benefit to being listed in Wikipedia. Um, in the Reddit thread, John Mueller said, randomly dropping a link into Wikipedia has no SEO value and will do nothing for your site. And then uh, the article that came out on Search Engine Roundtable, um, the title sort of implied like it's useless to get a mention anywhere in Wikipedia. I think it's very important for us to know that Wikipedia is used as a source of entity information by Google. It's a huge place where Google gets information for the knowledge graph. And commonly when we do site reviews, we're doing traffic drop assessments for sites that try to compete for very, very competitive keywords. Almost every time we'll say, well, look, the sites that are currently ranking for that keyword, all of them have their own Wikipedia page and you don't even have a mention anywhere on Wikipedia. Um, and so does that mean that, oh, if you can get your own Wikipedia page, you will instantly rank for everything? No, the thing is that Wikipedia has um, criteria for getting a page that is really similar to what uh, Google describes as EAT 
criteria. So the quality raters, they're told to look at, uh, does this particular website, if you're trying to figure out if this is high quality, if it's authoritative, does it have a Wikipedia page? That's something they're actually told to look at. Um, and often when we do our site quality reviews, we'll say, well, look, like every site that you're trying to compete against has their own Wikipedia page and you're just this nobody that even though you have great content, why would Google want to rank you? Because you're not a giant in your field. And so um, we really feel that getting a Wikipedia page is very important if you're trying to build your EAT. And not everybody can do it. Um, at some point, I'd like to try to get a Wikipedia page for myself. I know that sounds kind of egotistical, but I feel like um, Google's got, or Google Wikipedia has these uh, qualifications that they call notability. Um, and the things that they talk about for notability are the same things we talk about for EAT, where they're saying, are other authoritative people mentioning you? Are, are, are you recognized as an expert in your field? Um, do authoritative sources uh, use you as a reference sometimes? And, you know, I, I do think that that happens for stuff that Marie Haynes um, Consulting produces. And I think at some point, probably we could get a Wikipedia page for us. And when we do that, it would be very interesting to see if that improves any rankings for our current websites, our websites, our current topics. So if we do do that and we manage to get a page published for myself, then I'll let you know whether that actually improves our rankings. I think uh, it would be something very, very easy to test. Going to move on here and talk, uh, as we have been for the last few weeks, about the SEMrush tip of the week. Um, as you know, probably if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, SEMrush has stepped up to be a sponsor of this podcast, and we're trying to provide you some tips from SEMrush in a way that's not uh, going to make you go, oh my goodness, she's doing another commercial again, um, but rather something that would help you. So, one of the things I want to talk about this week is the uh, SEMrush site audit. Um, something that you can do in SEMrush is put in a URL, and it doesn't have to be your URL. It can be a competitor as well. And uh, SEMrush will start crawling that URL and spit out a whole bunch of information in regards to uh, technical stuff about the site. Um, and so in newsletter, I've included a screenshot of what you would see uh, initially when you run one of these crawls. The crawls are very, very quick to run. What my team usually does is we'll set it up, which takes almost no time. They'll go work on something else for a little bit of time and then come back. And then all of a sudden, boom, we've got all of this data there. Um, and so one of the things that you'll see is, uh, you know, pages that have duplicate content issues or uh, the example that we gave in newsletter was a particular client where uh, SEMrush had flagged that there were seven pages on the site that had page speed issues. And if you click through on those pages, you can see how long it took them to load. Now, in some situations, for some of the issues, SEMrush has incredible documentation that will tell you, all right, well, here's why this is an issue which is really good if you're trying to explain it to clients. And here's how you would go about fixing it. For the page speed issues, in our case, what we did was say, all right, well, now we've got these pages. We'll run those through Google's PageSpeed Insights, and then we can get very specific stuff. Google's PageSpeed Insights will tell you, um, you know what, there's a whole bunch of JavaScript here that's being loaded that's slowing the page down, or this massive image is slowing the page down. Um, and so you need to use your brain and use other tools that you've got uh, available to you to figure out, you know, how can I make improvements uh, for this client on PageSpeed? 
speed. There's other things in the SEMrush crawl that, uh, and there's many things. I think probably over the next uh, few months, I'll be going into more detail about specifics. I'll tell you, um, one of my auditors, Matt, was reviewing a site uh, recently, and he did the same thing we always do, run the SEMrush crawl. And SEMrush flagged a bunch of URLs as duplicate content. And it was super easy for us to see that this client had their HTTP version and also their HTTPS version of each page was ranking, was in Google's index. Not necessarily ranking, but were in Google's index. Um, and were both accessible. And so it was really easy for us to see that, oh, the redirects were not set up properly uh, because this client had recently switched to uh, HTTPS. And so if you are trying to learn more about your website to find where the technical issues are, I would highly recommend using SEMrush's um, site audit tool. Uh, there's Again, there's a lot more that I could cover on this, but I'm not going to make the whole podcast episode uh, about this tool. If you want to try it out for your own site, you can go to mariehaines.com slash SEMrush, and that will give you a promo code where you can get uh, a trial. I believe this week's trial is for a two-week uh, guru plan, which is plenty of time for you to run a crawl on your own website and see what's happening. Totally no charge to try uh, the trial. So I'd encourage you to, to give that a try. Um, moving on, we got a lot of really good information from Google Help Hangouts recently. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was about the current state of no-followed links. Uh, and so John Mueller was asked about this, uh, about whether no-followed links are actually being used yet. If you remember a while back, Google told us that they might start using no-followed links uh, in ways that they haven't before. So Glenn Gabe tweeted this, uh, and John Mueller said, it's possible that they are being used. We could theoretically use no-followed links to pass signals right now, he said, and I believe we're already using them for discovery. So what does that mean? I've said this before and I'll say it again. You don't need to worry about spammy no-followed links hurting your ability to rank. So let's say you have a website where uh, all of a sudden somebody's trying to do negative SEO and they're pointing a whole bunch of comment spam links at you. It's not like Google's going to say, oh, now that we can follow no-followed links, we're seeing that this website is spamming. They, that type of link is exactly the type that Google is just going to ignore. Um, where no-followed links can be a factor is, uh, let's say, and th this is my opinion, I don't know this 100% for sure, but let's say that uh, you got a really great mention in an authoritative news website. So let's say you discovered something that was new and Barry Schwartz wrote about it and he linked to your website with a no-followed link. Barry Schwartz's website's seen as an authority in SEO. And if Barry is continually mentioning you as a source of SEO news, it's showing that here's an expert in SEO who is recommending your website or you as an expert in SEO. And let's say he linked to you with a followed link. We believe that Google can pick that up as uh, a recognize, uh, they can recognize that this is an authoritative mention for you. So there's not much that I would change at this point. I don't think, if you're somebody who's auditing links, I don't think that you need to be um, paying close attention to no-followed links for the vast majority of websites. It's, it's rare that we actually try to audit no-followed links pointing to a website. Um, but it is important to know that if you get a mention in an authoritative website, even if it's a no-followed link, we think that that can contribute uh, to Google's assessment of authority for your website and EAT overall. 
this was an interesting question as well in a Google Help Hangout. Now, we have more Google Help Hangout information in the uh, actual web version of Search News You Can Use, episode number 147. I'm trying to share just uh, some of the best ones in podcast, but um, again, because I don't want to make this a long, long distance podcast, uh, I'm only going to share a couple here. Um, the question was uh, here whether it was considered cloaking if you're hiding your tracking pixels. Let me actually uh, see. This particular person asked, uh, yeah, they've got about 20 trackers, web trackers, and retargeting pixels on their website, which is really, really common. But those pixels will slow the page down because every time you have to load something new, that takes time, and that's going to slow the page down. So um, what they were thinking was, all right, let's show two different versions of this website and we'll show the one that's loaded with tracking pixels to users and we'll show the one that doesn't have tracking pixels to Googlebot. And the idea was that the page that doesn't have those pixels doesn't rely on those extra, uh, the extra code, those extra scripts, uh, that that page would load faster. And so that would be better in Google's eyes. So here's John's answer. He said, I suspect you're not going to get a lot of value out of this. On the one hand, when it comes to speed, we use the Chrome user experience report data. And that's something that's based on what actual users actually see. So if you're making a page faster for Googlebot, that's kind of nice, but it would be nicer to make the page faster for users because that's what we'd pick up on. So that's important to know. Um, you know, I don't think it's cloaking. I think what cloaking really means when the actual content is different for users than what Googlebot sees. Uh, but really there's probably not a lot of benefit from hiding your tracking pixels from Google. I'm sure there's some conspiracy theories out there that uh, explain why you should be hiding them, but I really can't think of a good reason uh, to hide those. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail about this, but I did think it was worth mentioning that uh, Google's prepared now to launch this enhanced news storytelling project uh, with licensed content. And not everybody is pleased about this. So from what I can understand, um, there's something that Google wants to, to, to launch where they would actually pay news websites for their content. Um, and there was something that happened with the uh, Australian Competition and Consumer Commission uh, that uh, says that this is not fair and for multiple reasons. But the part that I thought was really interesting was that this commission, uh, the, uh, the, the changes that they set out would require Google to give publishers notice if there was a major algorithm update on the way. And of course, Google came back and said, well, no, no, this, this is not going to work uh, because, you know, it's proprietary. And if we told uh, people what we were going to be changing in our algorithms, it just gives fuel to the spammers who are trying to take advantage of the algorithms. Uh, I don't know what will come of this. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it, though, because how nice would it be if Google said, look, we've got something coming up in the next month and we're going to make some changes and uh, we would like to see this, this, and this on your websites. How awesome would that be? Uh, but I don't think that that's going to happen. We don't have a whole lot to pass on in terms of local news. It doesn't look like there's any significant uh, ranking updates. Something that Joy Hawkins pointed out from uh, Sterling Sky is that uh, some companies now are seeing branded pins on the Google map. Uh, the example given was the Canadian coffee chain, Tim Hortons. You know, if you're a Canadian, there's hot dispute over whether Tim Hortons coffee is good or not. 
my husband will not allow Tim Hortons cups in our house. <laughs> it's a running joke um, because he's a Starbucks guy. And uh, I actually like Tim Hortons dark roast. I don't know. But this is very important to know. If you're trying to figure out a Canadian, we don't all have an obsession with Tim Hortons. But Tim Hortons is a very large company in Canada, also in the States too, but I think it's bigger in Canada. Um, And so if you do searches for uh, a local search now, you'll see on Google Maps, not just a pin, but a pin that actually has Tim Hortons branding on it. Uh, And so this is something that we'd probably all like to have on the maps. Um, According to Joy, a business can be eligible for this provided they spend $1,000 a day or more. I'm assuming that's on Google ads, uh, across all businesses. So, um, is that fair? I don't know. Uh, you know, I think if they opened it up for everybody to have your logo, there would just be so much opportunity for spam. Um, you know, people could change their logo to just say random things or say, you know, our competitor is awful or I I don't know. Um, so we'll see, maybe that will uh, progress so that we can all have branded pins. But, uh, at this point, if you are a massive company with big ad spend with Google, you can potentially get your, your logo on Google Maps. Um, We've got some good recommended reading in newsletter this week. Uh, My team um, has summarized a post on Ahrefs by Joshua Hardwick that talks about how to build backlinks using a statistics page. And this is something that I really, really like. I think um, links are getting harder and harder to build because Google really wants to Um, they want to value the links that truly are recommendations. And so if, uh, if I wrote an article and, um, had a bunch of stats in it, I want to link out to a source for those statistics. And if you are doing SEO for a business that actually could provide stats, that's something that could get you very valid links because people will probably click on that link. Uh, those are legitimate links where people are saying, look, we wanted to talk about this really interesting uh, statistic or something. And uh, by the way, this website has done a study to show that here's here's where we here's where we reference the statistics from. Um, a good example would be, let's say you're doing SEO for a dentist. Um, one of the things you could do is gather stats Uh, I mean, if the dentist has them, on what types of clients that they see. So for example, let's say a dental office has, a dental clinic has offices all across the city. It would be really interesting to see which percentage of their uh, patients uh, opt for teeth whitening. And it would be really a cool study to say like, look, in this part of the city, this percentage of people like teeth whitening and in this part of the city, not so many and see, I don't know, can you draw some ties to that? That's maybe a a strange example. I think um, if you're doing uh, SEO for a small business, there's lots of places where you can produce stats. I'm thinking in particular of real estate websites. Right now, real estate is just messed up all over the place. And so if you are running a real estate website, is probably a great idea to talk about how house sales, uh, how house prices prices have changed due to COVID or what availability has changed due to COVID and include actual statistics. And that's the type of thing that can get you links uh, that probably would help improve your rankings.
I'm going to cover a few Q&A questions here. I've had a few of you reach out to me and say that uh, the Q&A section is one of the more helpful parts of podcast. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see what we can do here and see if I can answer some of these questions. And in turn, maybe it'll help some of you who are listening to the podcast as well. Um, one question came in about a particular website that uh, had links from another website. And this second website got sold and repurposed. And now the website is talking, uh, it's, it's basically a spam website. It's a website that just publishes links for the sake of uh, selling links, um, not a website that you'd really want to be associated with. Um, and so if this website is still linking to you, would that hurt you? So I don't know if that's too complicated, but essentially you had a good link and then the website changed and now they're giving out unnatural links. So would Google uh, penalize you because you've, you've now got a link from a website that sells links. The important thing to know here is that any time that I've seen a website that appears to be penalized or demoted or for whatever reason is not ranking well, and we think that that's because the website has been um, engaging in unnatural linking practices, it's never because of one link. It's always because of something that you've done at scale that works. Now, scale is hard to define. Um, scale could be that you've made hundreds and hundreds of links uh, and Google says, all right, we can see a pattern here that this website's making their own links and maybe we shouldn't trust the links that are pointing to this website. It can sometimes be a smaller scale though. I remember I had a client uh, a few years back who came to me after getting a Google penalty for unnatural links. And what had happened was they purchased um, footer links on uh, a news website. And this news website, it was a chain that had, they syndicated content across seven different news websites. And so each of these uh, for their main pages on the footer of these seven websites, they received uh, links that contained their main keyword. It said basically like it was a product and if you wanted to buy this product, it would, it would link with a keyword to the client that eventually became ours. Um, I thought it was interesting because this site was ranking really well and then they had these links on just seven different domains, which doesn't seem like a massive scale, right? And within a couple of weeks of buying these links, and they didn't do anything else, it was just these links. Within a couple of weeks, they had an unnatural links manual action. That was probably one of the easiest ones ever to remove because uh, we just had the client remove those links from those seven different websites uh, and ask them. I think what they did was make them no followed. Although, you know, to be honest, the only reason why they got those links was for the link equity that potentially could have come from them uh, and it backfired on them. So uh, they asked for those links to be no followed and then uh, the penalty was, was lifted. What's interesting to me though was it was only links on seven websites, but why did Google uh, give them a manual action when it wasn't a massive scale? It's because those links actually moved the needle. So if you're paying for links and those links are, even though they're against Google's guidelines, they're actually working to help you rank better, then that's the type of thing that Google wants to give manual actions for. You have unnatural links, they're not true recommendations. Google's algorithms, for whatever reason, didn't figure it out, uh, and so they jump in with a manual action. In this case, the question that was asked was about one particular website 
that uh, switched to a spam website and started to link to them. I wouldn't worry about that at all. Um, I mean, you certainly could disavow it if you wanted to, but I think the chances of that actually hurting your site are minimal. If Google penalized websites for receiving the odd spammy link, pretty much every website on the planet would be penalized. So um, if you're not actively building your own links in ways that go against Google's guidelines, I really wouldn't worry about that. Um, another question here from Dinesh. Uh, Dinesh says, after the website received a manual action, they removed about 80% of the links. So this is a website that got a manual action for unnatural links. They removed about 80% of the links pointing to this website, and they got their reconsideration request approved. Um, but Dinesh says, the rankings continuously are going down. Sometimes we see improvement, and in the next day it's down. It's happening for at least a month. Uh, can you please help us to work how to work this situation? Um, before the manual action, we were on top with every keyword, and uh, and now they're not. Okay, so this is really common, and unfortunately, there may not be a solution here. Again, when Google gives out manual actions for unnatural links, it's because your rankings are being artificially propped up by links that are self-made. The links that Google wants to count are actual recommendations for your website. So if you've been making your own links um, and then Google says, wait a second, we caught on to this and we think these are unnatural, and then you remove those links, it's you've you've removed what was actually propping up your rankings. Now, it's possible, you know, maybe you were ranking for those terms before and um, um, the unnatural links, uh, you know, put some sort of suppression. I, I haven't seen that happen, actually. I think... Um, if you've lost rankings after an unnatural links manual action, this is really common. And the only way really to recover that is uh, to actually get good links. I have an article that I wrote on Moz uh, many years ago about, um, I think it's called After an Unnatural Links Penalty, Will Your Traffic Recover? Or something like that. Um, it should be fairly easy to find on Moz. And even though it was several years ago, everything still applies now, as far as I recall. Now, there are some situations, uh, there are some manual actions where, uh, yes, when we remove them, we do see improvements after we've removed the manual action. Uh, and even for unnatural links manual actions, there can be some that we remove them. Uh, and these are mostly for site-wide manual actions. And what we'll see is when often when a website has a site-wide manual action for unnatural links, uh, they'll rank for almost nothing except for branded terms. If you're only ranking for branded terms, uh, that's often a sign that there's some type of suppression on your website. Not always. It could just be that you're new and Google can't figure out where your unique value is. Uh, but often it's a sign that there's some type of suppression. Um, and so if you get a uh, site-wide manual action and we remove that site-wide manual action, often the site can start ranking for uh, keywords that aren't branded. Um, and that, that can happen. But if you had a partial manual action, it, it's commonly the case that you don't see improvements. So then people would say, well, why would I spend all this time and money and effort to go in and clean up that kind of manual action? And there's valid reason to do that. Um, because those links that Google's pointed out, you can be guaranteed that that they're trying to figure out how to deal with those algorithmically. And so um, you could find if you just keep everything there with a future algorithm update or with a future change to how Google assesses links, you might find uh, that they're actually suppressing your site and they're making it challenging to rank. 
Um, let's see here. I've got a question here from Kimball Lewis. We have a site with hundreds of free articles. We also offer premium online content for subscribers. In the past where relevant, we linked within the article to our premium content on the product page. But we stopped this because we thought it might be a trust issue with EAT. Do you think that Google would be okay with us linking in this way? Would it hurt our trust? Would it make our articles be construed as long form ads? We want to improve our conversions and let our readers know about our premium content, but we don't want to get Google angry with us. What do you think? Love the podcast. Thank you, Kimball. This is a really, really good question. And I know where this is coming from because we wrote some information. I believe it was on our article on the January core update of 2020. One of the things that we noticed was that a lot of the websites that or pages that saw declines with that update were transactional pages. Um, were pages where the main purpose of the page was to sell something. And uh, this is something that we've been noting, um, where if you have lost rankings for a certain keyword, and this is a keyword that is a transactional one, so it's like you want somebody to click on that, uh, click on your website and buy a product. Um, take a look at who's currently ranking for those keywords. And what, what might have happened is that Google may have figured out that uh, the vast majority of people who search for that keyword do not want to purchase something, but just want information. Uh, and so if you find that everybody who's ranking for your keywords are completely informational and you're trying to rank a sales page, it probably won't work. In some situations, what we've seen is that uh, Google might have maybe one spot in the SERPs for a, uh, a sales page, just in case the customer or the, the searcher is actually looking for a sales page. Um, and so maybe if you're the best of your kind, you can rank in there. Uh, but in a lot of cases, if Google is determined that people are looking for information, you really don't want to have anything salesy on your pages. So the question is, what is salesy? Now, in some situations, it's super obvious if a page is a sales page. In other situations, um, one of the things we've noticed, and I feel like Lily Ray had a good article about this, or it might have been in a recent talk uh, of hers, where uh, she talked about um, uh, maybe reducing the number of calls to action in your content. And I think this is what you're talking about. It's not specifically calls to action, but where you're, what you're doing is you have an informational page. People come for information, and in that page somewhere you say, by the way, we have this extra content that you can find here and you're linking to your premium pages that people would actually pay for. So these are essentially calls to action. They're, they're sales calls, basically. Um, and the question is, how much of that is acceptable? And I don't have the answer to that. I would say that if you have pages that have calls to action, and you're finding that they're not ranking for informational SERPs, then maybe you need to tone your calls to action down. From what you've described, described Kimball, it sounds like it's not heavy with advertisements. Um, so we do this with newsletter, right? We have our free version of newsletter, and then we have a premium version. And we do link to the page that sells our premium version. Um, you know, now it's a little bit different because it is a little bit of a different situation, but it's totally fine, in my opinion, to have an in-text, in-context link where people might actually want to click on that link and engage. That's something you could test as well, is how many people are clicking on this. Like if, if a tiny fraction of your readers are actually clicking on those links, 
then maybe you shouldn't really have it there. But my guess is that those are not hurting you and that it's totally okay to link to premium content to a product that you want to sell uh, to something like that. Where I would caution you is um, I wouldn't try to do it in any sort of a deceptive way. So as long as you're making it clear that this is paid content or like, Hey, if you're willing, if you want to upgrade, uh, there's some content here for you. Um, and it's not like, Oh, by the way, we have all this fantastic stuff. And then surprise when they get there, you have to pay for it. I, you know, I, I think you have to think about user trust, uh, basically, um, when you're doing something like that. So will it hurt you? I mean, I'd have to see the pages. Um, and I actually think I see that you're signed up for a site review. So we will be seeing these pages and I can give you more information um, once we actually uh, do the review. But the short version is that um, linking to your uh, transactional content really shouldn't hurt provided that a searcher uh, is still able to get their informational content and not feel like they've landed on a sales page, which I think you're probably doing things in an okay way. Uh, that's actually all that we have to cover in this episode. We have loads of other really good stuff in newsletter. Uh, we've got some tips for outreach uh, based on something that Rand Fishkin wrote. Uh, how to recover lost FAQ rankings. That's uh, something that has been a hot topic lately. Um, what does it mean if one of your pages is not cached in Google? Uh, we've got really good tips on how to produce location pages that are not going to be considered doorway pages. There was something John Mueller said this week where uh, essentially he said, like, if you have these location pages where you're pulling in automated content about here's the schools in the area, here's the sports teams in the area, things like that, that those are considered doorway pages for the most part by Google. Um, and so we've had some clients that uh, we've been working with to clean up doorway pages to make them way more valuable than just like automated, here's the facts on this location. And some of our clients are seeing nice gains with that. So uh, there's a little bit in newsletter on that as well. Um, I think, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll end it there. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the new Fortnite season. It's coming out soon. I had a spectacular solo win last night. I, I wish I had recorded it. It was, uh, it, it was really, really good. I'll tell you, my daughter, uh, my 12-year-old, told me, she gave me a really good compliment this week. She said, you know, my biggest flex in life right now is that I have a mom who plays Fortnite, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And this is coming from, she actually has more followers on TikTok than I have on Twitter. She's got 30 some thousand followers. I'm, I'm, it's really cool to see. And she's doing this with no help from me. This is, uh, I mean, I see what she's doing, uh, but, I, but it's, it's amazing to see. Uh, it's so exciting when you discover something and there's an algorithm and you figure out how do I make it so that this algorithm wants me to succeed. Uh, and so she's doing that, which is kind of cool. So I don't know. I'm, I've reached the point where I'm babbling. And uh, listen, if you're not done your long distance run, you're going to have to listen to something else because uh, that's all I've got for you this week. I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Yeah.